Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related, from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations related to mental health topics. On this week's episode, I invited Aaron Bulk to join the podcast. Aaron is a filmmaker slash storyteller, and during quarantine, he created a YouTube show called The Click. I highly recommend checking it out. Aaron is somebody that I was interested in speaking to. Once I saw he created the show, I wanted to know more. And we exchanged a few messages and got on a phone call and really related on a lot of things. Social anxiety, anxiety, and it led to a really interesting conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Aaron Bulk, welcome to the Don't Worry About It podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited that uh, you're willing to come on to this podcast and chat about your experiences um, dealing with anxiety and other mental health stuff. And um, before we get into that, I just wanted to ask uh, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the audience. Uh, sure. So my name is Aaron Bulk. I'm 26 years old. I am an aspiring filmmaker. Uh, I like to create music videos, short films. I went to school for that in New York Film Academy for three and a half years. And at the present moment, now that Hollywood is shut down because of COVID, um, I am trying to open up an escape room down in Miami Beach just so I have some kind of job going and it's kind of a form of storytelling. And... uh, yeah, that's pretty much my bio, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Our, I know COVID's impacted so many people's lives in so many different yep. ways. Were you living out in LA? So I was living out in LA from September 2019 to March 2019. And I had a friend who living out there who was moving to Miami and driving cross country. And I hopped aboard to uh, go on the trip with them. And a week into being in Miami, after we got there, it took four days, I flew back home to New Jersey. I was there for three days. Trump then got on the news saying, yeah, we're shutting it all down. And I was like, okay, maybe I should weather it out here. Maybe in like, I'll, I'll stay for a couple of weeks. And when things get better, I'll fly back to LA. I have not been back to LA since. Wow. So you thought, you know, you moved out to LA, you were going to, you know, chase your dream of whatever passion it was and in whatever form it was. And then COVID comes and completely tears down those plans. Oh, it completely derailed it. I was, uh, I shot a music video last summer of uh, like a, a music video I'm very proud of in the desert in California. And it was, it was, it came out great. So after I finished that, I moved out to LA to network with other artists to, try to see if anybody's interested in collaborating together. I was meeting artists after artists, networking. I was going to uh, events with other creatives. And, you know, it was a slow start. It wasn't the easiest thing, but I was getting a grip it out in LA. So, you know, I was on my path. I was doing um, the nitty gritty and then COVID derailed that path. Yeah, now, you know, I'm always so fascinated by people that go into the arts, whether it's acting, filming, directing, any aspect really of it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, especially in terms of like just the struggle that artists go through in trying to find their path. Usually they all have some 
struggle and I mean everyone kind of struggles in whatever they do but it always seems to be personal because being an artist is usually a, I mean it's a, usually a passion, passion project you don't hear about investment bankers that are passionate about investment bankers or right stuff like that so why why'd you get in what is it about the film industry or what aspect of it that that is that something you always want to do or is that something you found later in life oh that's so that's since four years old just watching on tv uh, coming to a theater near you which they don't even say now but like I would just see on commercials and I'd be so mesmerized. Like I could want to go see this movie. And then at first I wanted to be the actor because that's all I knew. That's all I saw. And as I grew older, it was actually The Dark Knight, which was such a spectacle and storytelling for me at such a young age at 14 years old that I was like, I switched gears and started getting more curious about the storytelling aspect of it, the directing. And I come from a, a business family and my mom is a, you know, you know, she runs a company, so I've always had leadership in my blood. So becoming a director just felt natural. I love the storytelling. I love the filmmaking aspect of it. And I like, you know, being in charge and delegating. But like, you know, that's so those are just all the potent pieces that swung me in that direction. All right, there are a lot of qualities that go into, you know, being a, a leader. Is that something you felt like, like you said, like that was because you think you got that from like your mom or were you yeah. like a natural, were you a born natural leader or was that something you had to learn? Um, I think when I was younger, I was outspoken. I was more outspoken. That made me have the believe I had the trait of being a leader. But um, I definitely had a few wake up calls in my early 20s that I was like, I do not know how to, you know rip people's attention, sell people on my ideas, or be a, uh, you know, a kind leader, a tame leader, like someone that's not like dictating, someone that's collaborating. I, and I grew into somebody like, I remember in uh, middle school now and high school, I hated working in groups. I hated working with people. And as I went into film school and wanted to be the, you know, the big shot director, I started forming to it, it, like my mindset started forming to how important it is to be a good director, to listen to the people you're collaborating with and the people that are under you because you all have the same end goal. And that actually transformed who I was as a person. I then became better at communicating with people just in everyday life from wanting to be a better director. It's very interesting because when you think about artists and you think about people that get into these businesses, the director, the actor, right? It's a very strange mental, mental uh, dynamic that goes on. If you're an actor, you're pretending to be someone else. If you're a director, you're also creating something else. Right? It's not real life. You're recreating a moment or something, a script, a story, something that you want to tell, whether that's a personal story or one that's completely made up. And there's so many different components that go into it. And then you have to also work with others to get to that goal, right? Get them to see your vision and act the way you want them to while also understanding their own mental matrix. And these are not, I don't know how many people are that mentally stable, but I feel like to be a great, um, to be great at anything or to be a great actor, you kind of have to have some, maybe some selfish qualities. You have to be able to be a chameleon. You have to be able to change into so many different things. And that can lead to a loss of identity. Well, I did study acting and I had an acting uh, professor who told me, um, or instructor, he told me that's a great quality for a great actor is being kind and a good listener. Now, I don't know how much that translates into what we hear about Hollywood, but I get that aspect that you have to have 
a social button in your head to be compassionate to to people so you yourself can understand how people work. You have to understand how people work to be a successful actor. Hmm. Very interesting. I not like I said. I don't. I don't know much about it. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. It's just very fascinating to hear about something that I don't know anything about. And I'm always curious with um, people who get into this. Is there uh, a specific story? You know, getting into wanting to be a director. Is there a specific part of you? Like, what what led you go down that route as opposed to being an actor or any other uh, any other part in the business? Well, just as I grew older as a film fan. Um, my passion from being the center of the attention on camera changed as I learned more of how film worked. But um, going into this industry does come with a lot of like you have to like sell yourself. You have to you're, you're not just selling your ideas and your projects. You're selling yourself basically. So that does come with some things that are like you know come with some struggles. You know. That sounds like anxiety inducing when you're talking about like selling yourself and having to sell a vision. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of, um, it's not so easy to, to successfully do. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, it's a polarizing uh, industry and I am someone that does suffer from, from anxiety and like social anxiety. It's actually funny that last week I was driving with a few people and I just had an anxiety attack while I was driving. And I do have like mental techniques of how to get over anxiety, which is like just saying things that are, are like real because your anxiety transforms what is not real and height heightens that. So as I was driving, I was like, okay, this is a very nice steering wheel. It's a, it's leather. I, I'm holding it. I can, I see the grass. I see the road. There's a guy on a skateboard. And as I said that in my head, the guy slid off his skateboard and I saw him like running to chase it. And I was like, wait, is there a guy on a skateboard? Am I making that up in my head? Wait, so you're in a, you're in the midst of driving and you feel pa- you feel an anxiety attack, panic start to rise. Yeah. And can, for those who have never experienced um, an anxiety attack, can you explain what an anxiety attack is? So an anxiety attack is that you're in the midst of something going on in your life and as you're thinking about that those incidents, sorry, as you're thinking about what's happening as you're like, you know, What's the word? Introspecting, I guess, is the word. The incident going on in your life, or the event going on in your life, as you keep keep thinking about it, your mind starts to heighten the fear or the upsettingness feeling that you have about X, about that certain event going on. And as it's happening, your body starts to react with the overreaction so your breathing gets heavy you shake and when you're around people it becomes a conscious effort to hide it so it's very it's pretty terrifying so you have to bring yourself back down to what's really going on right and and you mentioned you know that wasn't it made it seem like at least that wasn't the first anxiety attack you've um, had in your life and you mentioned you dealt with social anxiety and we'll, we'll get into that i'm curious to hear you know when did you first start to experience um and struggle with anxiety so I think maybe college, I think I've always had it, but in college, like, um, like in high school, I didn't go out that much. So in college, it was always my opportunity to go out like that. In co- like that I, I, um, really hopped on, um, you know, trying to 
take back the years I wasted in four years of high school of not go do being as social as I wanted to. And as I would go out and like, you know, start getting new social skills, I started getting focusing more on the negative of what I did wrong when I would go out. And as, you know, college years went on, I would start getting anxiety before it's time to go out and try to actually be a little self-destructive and think of excuses of why it's better if I don't. And then as, and if I didn't go out that night, or if I didn't, let's say for other th- other things that could really be related to, if I didn't go to that job interview or take that opportunity or go to that social event, like I would then later come to my senses and be like, you really like, you know, drop the ball on that one. And that is letting anxiety control you. So that is something I suf- suffer from. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who's um, experienced a lot of anxiety attacks in my life and still to this day struggle with um, struggle with anxiety and, and some other mental health uh, issues, I, I can actually really relate. I think you did a really um, good job of describing the internal um, back and forth that goes on in your head when it's like, especially when it's like something, when you want to do something, but your anxiety builds it up to be something. And the thing that you wanted to do originally would actually help you break out of the cycle your anxiety uses against you to not go right. It's uh, I want to be more social. I want to test all these new skills, but then the, what if the, what if start happening? What if I say the wrong thing? What if it doesn't work the way I want to do it? Yeah. And that's, it feeds into that, uh, the, the anxiety dragon that just grows bigger and stronger with every, with every, what if um, it just builds and starts to eventually can just steamroll you and, and, and encompass you. Um, you mentioned that this wasn't like, you know, the first, you know, you mentioned college was kind of the first time you started to experience it what was that process like for, for you to go through it? And then how did you get through it? So in college going through it, it was almost like I had to really focus on the positive of what was going on of when I had those attacks. So if I was, let's stick with the, let's say there was a party at someone's apartment. If I only knew one or two people there and I didn't, and they invited me and I didn't know them very well, I would use that as a negative and not go. But if I knew enough people that I was really close with, I'd be like, okay, they're there. I could think uh, I'll just hang out with them. I'll let them. I'll I'll meet people through through them when they're there. I'll try not to be too clingy. But there is reason to go. I'm more comfortable now, and that kind of grounds you. As I got older and I had to be more independent, on uh, like if I was invited to out to a party in Hollywood, and it was a, it was it was an opportunity to socialize with other creatives, my mind. Now in my like mid to late 20s, I now have social tactics. One, w- before going out, one that was given to me by a, a mutual friend of ours, Gabe Rubin. Um, you, you reverse in your brain what your fear is and make it a positive. So I'm nervous about meeting new people. I don't know anybody there. Okay, let's rewire that. I'm excited to meet new people, make new friends, make new contacts. Because there's truth in that. I'm not lying to myself. I am excited to and looking forward to, you know, shaking hands with new people and having fun, whatever. I went to a party one time where I didn't, I knew nobody except one person, a Halloween party in 2019. And I was so, I was really, I was, I was trying to convince myself not to go. But once I had the courage of going, I walked in and I was like, okay, let's look for something you could do. So you don't just seem awkward and get inside your head. Some person was drawing like fake tattoos on the back of people's hands. And I just went up to him like, and ask what are you doing let me let me let me get in on that and that was a way integrated so it's really like having a game plan 
and not letting the anxiety control you or bringing you down saying, no, it's better not to go. It's going in with a game plan. Interesting. First of all, love love that uh, Gabe, like Gabe Rubin said that uh, he's and a mutual friend of ours and he's a really – um, he's a really smart kid. He really understands uh, a lot about social dynamics, and I'm like, I'm so like, did not expect to hear hear his name now, but give a give him a shout out. That's really good advice. And I want to, great guy. Yeah, I want to just, I want to deconstruct a little bit and understand more about what you're, what you learned. You know, from what I understand, it sounds like you taught. I mean, the process of like actually adapting these in or not, I don't think are as seamless and as easy as you may you're making it seem i think that there's probably times where you thought you were going to do it and with were there parties that you went to where you thought you had a plan or started thought you were going to reverse engineer it and it didn't work out and you had to run out and leave early that it induced too much panic that you couldn't get over it or like with oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah i've been to shop i went i've been to shabbos meals like um sabbath meals uh a lot of a lot of uh, my social anxiety, um, what's called like social experiments happened in Los Angeles from September 2019 to March 2020. Um, there were Shabbos meals that I went to people's houses, met new people, and I used those skills, yet I would say something and people would have a negative reaction to it, and I would be in my head for the rest of the week. So it then gave me an excuse to rewire my brain for another thing. And that is like, I said something awkward at, at a, the dining room table and everybody just stared at me for a good like five seconds. And I was done for a, a week and a half. I woke up in the middle of the night, was thinking about it. Like it was, it really bugged me. So then I thought to myself, okay, go into events now, knowing you're probably going to say something awkward. You have the tendency to go into events. This is what I said to myself. You have a tendency to go into groups of people and, you know, drop comments that are a little off. Not like in a bad way, just like a little weird. And I don't mean to. And I think it's relevant in the moment, but sometimes it's not. So I go in saying, okay, I know I'm going to say something awkward and I'm okay with it. And you know what? Knowing I'm okay with it, maybe when I talk to good friends later, I'll have a good story. I call them later after the event saying, Dude, you'll not believe what I said at that party. Like, be able to laugh at myself. Right. No, it really sounds like you learned to um, uh, self-acceptance is a is a really big important part of um, creating strong, good mental health. I I believe, and as somebody who struggles with it myself, I can relate to you know saying the wrong thing in front of people and everyone looking at you and then kicking yourself for like for for a long time. I used to uh, very similar. Used to used to do very used to do the same thing, and I'd, and and I would keep me up at night, and I would feel horrendous and it would stay with me until I learned to just you know a process of if I, I always try and I learned to uh, what kind of helped me was to learn to re- deconstruct what what went on like and I go through like a checklist I'll ask questions did was anybody do I need to apologize like did I say anything that really hurt someone if I right. if the answer is yes then I go apologize if the answer is no then move on to the next thing is what I do what I say like hurt anyone in any way was it harmful no does anybody really then you start like you ask follow-up questions does any and then the answer is does any of it really matter answers usually no it's usually not as big a deal people you know when you apologize for small things people and like a lot of times you'll hear like i don't even know what you're talking about like not a problem like it wasn't a worry at all and a small percentage of the time they're probably just saying that but a large percentage of the time it's not even close or even a deal to the people that we think it is you going in and saying a comment i don't think you it seems like you've come to realize people don't really care 
they just like they stop for a few seconds and they move on. Hey, that was weird. People say weird people yeah. say weird shit all the time. And because you're yourself doing a biopsy on it, it seems so huge and monumental. But no one's really thinking about it while they're going to sleep or riding the subway home or doing whatever they're doing. Nobody's thinking like, man, that one-liner four hours ago. Like, that's the isolated event that I cannot stop thinking about. That guy was weird. Like, nobody's doing that. Yeah, you know, it's... um. It's very funny, you know, we, we think, a lot of people, and myself included, we think we're more important than we actually are in other people's lives. And we think people are, you know, deconstructing every piece of clothing that we wear, every, everything that we, every word that we say. And for the most part, people are doing the thing. If I'm doing it, other people probably are, and they're probably not paying attention to what I'm saying. They're probably not thinking, you know, about it. It's just the anxiety and, and the racing thoughts that just take over and, and create an illusion. It's not, it's perception. It's not reality. Exactly. And we do have this selfish, um, not, it's not selfish. We have this um, self-absorbed mindset to think that in the moment, everybody must be thinking about this certain thing the same way we are. I, I, I did theater growing up and I always like, you know, you know, I always would look like at, during the during the the shows. I would look across the uh, backstage at the little slides that separated backstage and um, the audience, and I always like would peek quickly and then back up because I knew if I could see them, they could see me. And I went through the majority of my um, teen years and early twenties thinking like that that. Because I see myself as such a klutz and I see these moments that of like pure stupidity that come out of my mouth and it's such a big deal to me, well, everybody else must be thinking the same way. It's not until we like go through the waves of breaking it down, being inside our heads that we've either someone tells us it's not a big deal or we come to that conclusion. But the ride in the moment of going through that anxiety and going through that um, sort of shame it, 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 it's uh it's it, it's heavy it's heavy what is it about you know the shame and what is it about that process that that feels so real to to, to those who suffer from it that's a good question it's, well the thing is i think people that, that don't that do not suffer from anxiety i have a brother who growing up really did not understand you know anxiety add he thought there was always a way to control your mindset and I think because, the reason is I'll stick with anxiety is because it's so momentar- momentary. So if we're dealing with that and it completely consumes us and then later on we get over it to other people, you know, if we let them know about it, it seems so min- minuscule. It seems like, you know, you got over it, but in the moment, I think it's just the way we talk to ourselves and we convince ourselves like our mind has this funny, the mind is so interesting. People are so fascinating. We play tricks on ourselves to believe that this thing that just happened or the thing that's going on, or I'm standing by myself holding a cup, nobody's talking about me and everyone's looking and I look like I look awkward and strange. This is a big deal. This is really, I'm, I'm an eyesore and I do not like the way people are perceiving me. But that's only the way you're perceiving you. And it does more damage to what you're thinking of yourself. If you thought the incident, something you said, or the way you think people are looking at you is, you know, a big deal, 
you just thinking more about it makes it a big deal. So it really is a frightening um, mind game we, we have with ourselves. Yeah, you know what? I think you nailed it. Um, I think everything you said there really encapsulates um, what, in, what, what perception, what anxiety causes perception and, and reality, the difference in, in our own heads. And, you know, for those of us who, have, who go through and battle with anxiety and, and, and experience panic attacks, anxiety attacks and other, and other episodes and, you know, and, and episodes, in those moments, it feels like your life is, is at, like a severe anxiety attack. You feel you can feel like you're dying. You feel like your world is crumbling down. I'll never, ever forget having to run out of a class in college to a bathroom, close the bathroom stall, like put my head in between my knees and just shake and waiting for waiting for it to end. And I thought, you know, my life was over. I didn't think there would ever be a time where I wouldn't be going through this. And I was, it was the first it wasn't the first time I'd experienced it. It was I was going through a series of anxiety attacks where I was just waiting for them to come and it felt like my life was ending. And then you kind of get out of your own head and you start to, you know, do some, use some tactics like breathing exercises to get out of it. But for those from the outside who just see it as, you know, five, and I could see that, that whole thing could last, you know, three to five minutes. And then I could eventually right. pick myself up and get back into class or whatever it is I need to go. And the person goes, Oh, if five minutes, see nothing, like you're fine was always what they people would like people didn't understand would say. And yeah, you're and technically, I guess you're right. I am fine. I was fine. And that's always important to remember that you it will pass and you're going to be fine. But those five minutes, my life feels like it's ending. And maybe there's a middle ground that we should be able to meet at as opposed to just saying you're fine. You know, it's like very, it's a very big, important distinction, I think. No, absolutely. If you don't mind me asking, um, what was the... What, what, what was the inciting incident during that era that made you... Uh... Um... Have school was attacks. always a big trigger for my anxiety for me um i hated i've always hated um tests and, and essays i have it would always caused me a ton of anxiety i'd start to like even if i like was studying and like to do it like sometimes like i my anxiety would get so bad that i wouldn't even allow me to study which would give me more anxiety about the test and the essay that i had to write so it wouldn't allow me to sit down and do the work that would take away my anxiety and there was a class that just felt too the work I remember sitting in class and they were just listing all the things we'd have to do. We'd have to write all these papers and we'd have to take these quizzes once a week and the homework. And it just felt like a mountain of just felt like a mountain was like ready, getting ready to avalanche. Like snow was getting ready to fall from an avalanche and bury me. And I just raised, I, I don't even know if I raised my eyes, I just ran out of class, went to the bathroom and, and, and started having anxiety attacks. And it would happen a couple of times. And then eventually I just dropped the class and I ended up taking it later on to finish my major, but it got, I got, eventually I was able to get through it. So school was a big trigger for me, you know, just, I've always been on a kid who's on mm -hmm. edge um, ever since I can remember. I've always, always been an on edge, active mind thoughts, always racing and through, you know, building good friendships and good relationships, um, a little bit of therapy um, and, and, you know, just, I guess, um, experience living life, I've been able to figure out a way to um, figure out how to manage my anxiety to, to an extent. I mean, I've, I've had like one panic attack in the last like year and a half or two years, maybe. So I've seemed to have figured it out. That's impressive with, uh, with Yeah, you know what? Uh, in the beginning of, in the beginning of um, COVID, um, I really was struggling. Um, I didn't like I hadn't seen anyone. I just felt like there was so much out of my control. And I I'm very lucky. I have some like unbelievable like friends. Uh, everyone always thinks they have the best friends. So I'll say it too. I think I have the best friends in the world. And one of my good friends, I'd call him or I'd FaceTime him just to like we just chat. I remember I, I mean I started going for like hour long walks at night 
just to get out and clear my head, try and not even clear my head. I say clear my head, but just to organize my thoughts and, and just to chat. And it really, it really helped. But yeah, I'm lucky. A lot of people um, have struggled with their mental health during COVID. I feel like as I've somehow become uh, stronger and at least more, I've, I've already been through a lot with it. So I kind of already get how my anxiety works and how my mind works after 25 years. So I don't know. I feel better equipped. David, I think this podcast idea, and because you, like you said, you just, because you've gotten stronger at knowing how to better handle it. I think this podcast idea is great because anxiety and mental illness, but like mostly focusing on anxiety has become such a hot button uh, topic to discuss and to be open about in, I don't know, five, 10 years, but it's always been there yet people are talking about it as if it just popped up. Do you think it's, do you think it's our generation that's more open about it? Or we actually do suffer from it more than past generate. Like, what's your theory on why this has had this topic has such a high surgence now? Uh, that's a really good question. It's very, um, there's a lot in it and nuance. So I'm probably going to forget to touch on a few things with it. So please, for the, please forgive me. But I think there's a lot of components. I think awareness, I mean, awareness has never been higher, right? Um, if you think, do I, I don't think anxiety was created a hundred years. Like, I don't think it's a recent thing. I think we, people have always experienced anxiety all throughout, but I think we have um, awareness more of what's going on. It's become, um, it's less taboo. You can talk about it. And when you can talk about it, it gets, it gets brought out. People will, will are able to, you know, acknowledge it. And then, you know, so unfortunately they don't, they don't know how to actually deal with it. You know, if you think about education, um, the fact that we don't have, mental health education from a young age it leads to parents that become uneducated and they have kids who are uneducated and if their kid maybe they're somebody who has a gen who has it in their genes maybe it's a parents pass it down and they kind of go through it, but no one ever stops to acknowledge what it is they don't teach their don't teach kids how to cope um i think i think schooling has gotten out of hand um especially in our modern orthodox communities i think it's become insane the amounts immense pressure to live up to to the craziest standards of a dual curriculum at high school don't even get me started on on on, on high schools that with the dual curriculum and hobbies and all the schoolwork. it's if you come out right. of that i think high school has become the craziest social experiment ever created and no one stops twice to think about it stick 14 to 18 year old kids that are going through puberty and hormones changing and ask them to do all dual curriculum while while well, having to get into the best colleges and high high competition, it's 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 stressful. If you can come out of high school mentally in good shape, I think regardless of your grades, you're going to be fine. You're probably ahead of the game. And if you can come out with great great grades and and an emotional stability, then you're obviously set. But what's really going on, I think, I think is that because we've started this conversation, I think the uh, no one's really ready to actually have the adult conversation on mental health yet. Um, I think. Um, acknowledgement, mm -hmm. removing the stigma and being able to talk about it is great. But I think there's a lot of people giving advice and a lot of bad studies that are being done. And I think anxiety, it, it becomes the difference between what an excuse and an explanation is. I don't like to ever use my anxiety or my mental health as an excuse for why I can't do anything. I will use it as an explanation because I do believe accountability is crucial in dealing with, with, with certain mental health challenges. Now, this is just for my personal view and for my anxiety and what I've dealt with. That's, that's shaping my opinion on it. For other people, they deal with it and you're entitled to your own feelings. But I do think that, you know, 
becoming okay, it's a kind of oh, becoming okay with not being okay has become a slogan mm-hmm. that, that's commonly heard. And I think it's, it's, it's a really good one, but it's, it's okay, okay not, not to be, be okay. okay, but that doesn't mean you should continue to not be okay. And you should need to take act. You should be trying to get to a place. And I, I think, okay, being not okay, just really means you're going through stuff and that's okay. You're, you can, you can go through stuff and you can still come out. Okay. You'll be, you'll be fine. It's, if you're, it's okay to be sad when people like shouldn't if, if sad is a normal emotion you, there are things in life that should make you sad there are things in life and and, and if you don't right. and there, by the way, there are a ton of people that aren't able to to get in touch with those emotions and be sad uh take personally i i, I haven't i can't remember the last time i cried I, if i had to guess it was probably 2017 maybe honestly yeah probably around 26 no earlier 20 about 2016 2017 i can't cry i've had things that i could cry over I, I wish I could cry, but I just, I'm not, I'm not able to do it. And that's also, it's okay to not be okay. I take that in. It's okay if you can't show your emotions that way yet. But the goal is to eventually come to a place where if that's needed, it's a healthy emotion to do. So I, I don't, I think that was a long soliloquy um, on my thoughts. I'm no, not thoughts great. on it. I, I don't really know. You know, I, I think we're still kind of figuring out, figuring out, listen, uh, something I was going to ask you and, and I'd like to hear what you think, but I, I, something I didn't even t- I didn't touch on yet, I think is the amplification of social media has given us access to an entire world that we are not ready to, that we were not mentally ready to have access to. Um, you have. Oh, we're the guinea pigs for that. We, our generation is screwed up because we are the guinea pigs. And I tell you this, my theory is as you know, life is becoming normalized with everything being available to us anything we need from the tip of our fingers that i think in maybe not the generation in high school now maybe not the one after after this one but maybe in two generations in like 16 years maybe 20 years people are going to actually find it overstimulating and a, a beautiful high of socializing without social media. Like that'll be a new thing. That'll be so cool, be riveting to actually have an experience. Go to that concert, go to the beach and don't record it. Don't let anybody know for yourself to feel relevant. You feel relevant because you're with people, you're in the moment and that's enough. We are the guinea pigs where our mind for the generation of social media used to feel relevant. Yeah, I think you nailed I think you in you nailed it. I think crazy we, we nailed. It. We are the guinea pigs. We're we're not. There's no trial and error. We're just try. Like this is just trial. We are testing out. We have become addicted, and it has had a high impact. I mean, the idea that you can have a thought and then have a whim to tweet it out, to post it, to share it, to s- take a picture of it, and, and and share it out to the world is not like that's a ton of power that nobody really understands yet. You can have an emotional yeah. moment and, and say something. And you don't. Act, you just. Uh, you can just share your innermost thoughts with people that aren't supposed to be. Should have access. To innermost thoughts or don't need to hear every little thing that, that doesn't need to get out there. And you might not even believe it or think it. It could just be that of thoughts, or sometimes just that thoughts. I agree, and you know, I have been a victim to. I used to. Uh, tag my Instagram post and I'm not that big on Instagram. I, I, I used to be a big Instagram user, but I've never been able to get a big following trying different things to do that. That's fine. But I used to tag my Instagram posts by the number of posts. So this is post 675 because social media became such a big deal that I would be like, 
on my 700th post, on my 800th post, I'm going to make a big funny video or I'm going to share something with my niece or nephew. I don't know. Something sweet. I don't know. And it became almost like a rubric of how I'm living my actual life over what does this little cube on Instagram tell, no, tell about me. funny because... Like I would schedule it like quickly, that. It, it, how quickly it's become entrenched in our lives and the value that we give it and the the um, power we let have over us. I I haven't. I was. I had. I remember Snapchat when that came out. I had that for a few years and I had to get rid of it. I didn't want to know. It gave me access to. I, I was seeing like innermost like a lot of stuff about people's like lives that I was didn't even know. Like I met like once and so we became Snapchat friends or whatever the term is. I don't know how it is now. And I was like knowing like right. personal details about like what they were doing, who they were with. And I was like, I don't want to know this anymore. It was giving me a FOMO. It was making me feel like obtrusive in their lives. And I was like, all right, I'm out. So in 26 summer of 2015, I got, I just checked out of Snapchat and I just recently when I started this podcast, I needed to do social media for it. And I'm looking to outsource that already. Cause I hate, I don't like being on Instagram. I'm addicted. I, I look at the stories. I'm just right. constantly looking at stories. And I'm like, I'm a bit ashamed to admit it, but like I get the thing and I have to come up with, I'm trying to come up with posts. I know I need to promote my podcast and do that stuff, but I can't stand it. It, it drives me bananas. I only use it. I mean, there's never a good reason to use Snapchat. I've deleted Snapchat a few years ago, I don't even remember when it just became like a garbage waste of time. There is like new stories and these random story posts that it's just garbage. Like that and TikTok, in my opinion, are garbage. They're great tools, but they're they're if you're not using them to further your life and you have it as a as a distraction to in that context, uh, they are garbage. I'm a and I'm a con- and I'm someone that right, likes. I was gonna say you're content. the you're the content creator. But if I, I, mean, if I can't, I, I, mean, I guess technically I, I'm. But if I can't. I said I guess myself, I'm sorry, a content creator now too in a way, but I never. I mean, I don't identify. I just you are. It's not like part of me. But it's funny because we. But then again, you know what? If it if it bring you know I I think social media is like. I don't know. You can either abuse it or you can use it for your own gain. And if you're somebody out there who social who's not addicted to social media and you use it in a positive way and it brings value and meaning to your life and you're okay with that then go ahead keep using it absolutely but if you're someone that does not further your career goals or your life your life and health style through social media if it does not benefit you and it is consuming part large parts of your day and i don't say this in a judgy way i say this as judging myself and knowing myself and I've gotten a lot better where I am now for the last few months. Maybe I'll get addicted to Instagram again. I've gotten better at taming myself with Instagram. And I know I beat myself up when I eat large hours of the day just skimming through Instagram for no, yeah, no I mean, productive they, they, reason. They, they try and get you. I mean, they know what you want to see and they know everything about your likes and dislikes. And it's very dangerous. Yeah. You know, I think it's... Definitely, I think you said it right. We we are the guinea pigs for this, and I and I think organic. Um, I think when we look back on, on our generation, um, and we look back at pictures of, of perf- artists performing in concerts, and all you see is a, is a bunch of uh, flash flashing lights because people are recording and taking pictures of it, and instead of you know actually enjoying. And I think, listen, I, do I think you can enjoy a concert and videotape at the same time? Probably. I don't know how much it takes away, but I, it's like 
the goal, like part of it is just living in the moment. I think you can just take one picture. You don't have to have people have their phone out the entire time. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird phenomenon to me. I don't get it yet. I do have a theory that um, in maybe 10 years, people, young kids are going to find VHS tapes and then going to find VHS um, boxes that they could plug into their TVs because TVs aren't made with them anymore. And they're going to get addicted to VHS. I think like how Pokemon cards right now, I don't know a lot about it, but I know right now, just based on word of mouth, pop, uh, Pokemon cards, because they're so retro, are like, you know, gold right now. Like people are selling them on eBay and stuff. I think VHS tapes are going to come back in style and they're going to be such collector items and such a trend. And the reason for that is they're not just access- accessible on your touch screen. They're not a swipe away to rewind. You actually have to put some oomph, some effort into actually doing it. And that is going to change the experience of watching something for those who did not have to grow I don't know. doing it. I don't I don't know if I it's agree gonna with be it. new. the um, principles that go into what you're saying are true. I don't know if it's going to take if I don't know if it's going to manifest in VHS, but I think it's irrelevant. Well, I think it's going to be a trend. I think it's going to be a moment. I don't think it's going to be like the, right. it's going to come back in style. I think it's going to be like um, I don't know. Tie-dye well, shirts whatever comes back a ton in of style. movies and television as it is and you know, that's another part of it, what we're watching in our content. Um, you know, I think mental, it's one of the big things that mental health has kind of come through. You see athletes talk about it all the time. You see celebrities are now talking about mental health. You see shows are talking about mental health and you see characters that deal with mental health issues. And I think yeah. when it's written right, I think it can be very powerful. And um, But then again, you know, there's the other side of uh, contagions that go on. Somebody who just struggles a bit becomes i think tribes start to happen people want to um, understand why they go through some things and and it's a lot easier if you can just identify and look at someone on, on your screen and say i'm like that person they're struggling and i struggle sometimes too so i'm like them and i so you can kind of convince yourself that you have something that you may not and it's because it makes you feel better uh, and, and that's why you know the best thing you can ever get at a doc the worst thing that can ever happen at a doctor's office for the most part is um no diagnosis no explanation your head hurts and you don't know why no i think it's, that's the worst or the best thing they're obviously worse diagnosis but if you go your legs hurting or your arms hurting or your head's hurting and you go to a doctor and nobody can explain to you um nobody can and the doctor can't explain to you what's going on that can be extremely frustrating and i think that with with mental health it's all internal and it can be very frustrating for a lot of people they can't they don't understand what's going on absolutely um, I'd like to transition at this point. There's something, you know, I know you're a big fan of it. I'm also a fan of it too. And we talked about, we talked a lot about um, how you're in, um, you're in involved in movies and TV shows. And you started this new, um, this new series. You were at least started a few episodes of, and I, I got a chance to watch it called The Click. Can you explain, just give a brief yeah. snapshot of what, of what The Click is? Sure. Uh, Snapchat, we looped it back. Um, yeah, sure. The Click is a reality game show that I created during quarantine um, where seven strangers hop onto a Zoom call and I, they will have five rounds of conversation. In the beginning of each conversation, I will give them a prompter 
could be about movies, could be about uh, television, it could be about you know health and lifestyle, it could be about politics. Just something to prompt a conversation, and they can run with that topic or start their own topic. They control the conversation. It is a social game, so they control what they say and what they do. At the end of each conversation round, which lasts about six minutes, they will then hop onto their phones on WhatsApp. They have each other's phone numbers. Even though they're strangers, they've saved each other's phone numbers onto their phones. And on WhatsApp, they will text each other and strategize who they thought, you know, doesn't really fit into the group, the clique. And each round, they'll have to kick somebody out of the clique. And they might vote somebody out because they didn't talk so much in the last round or because they talk too much and they're in control of the conversation. It's up to them why they kick somebody out. At the end of the game, when, all, when the five people are kicked out, they'll, you'll be down to two people. And the five people are kicked out, turn off their microphone, turn off their camera, but stick around and watch the game and then come back and have to decide between the last two people left in the game who played the best social game, the best texting game, and the best strategic game in this game of Gab. So you're judging based on your vocal conversation style and your texting style. Who was it most? Who was the most involved in this game? And they will then vote for a winner, and that person will be crowned so leader of the socially click. anxious anxiety guy created an online an online show about social anxiety, basically about social politics and social conversation, social stuff. Oh, how absolutely. Did you come up yes. What? what how did you get into the social dynamics? I mean, it sounds a lot like shows that I've watched in my life, Big Brother and my personal favorite, Survivor. Were those big influences? <laughs> yeah, so I'm a huge... Oh my God, they were the influences, Survivor and Big Brother. So I love Survivor and Big Brother. And some and those are strategic games where you have to like, you know, create a society or a group together and then have to kick somebody out to further further yourself. And then the people that you kicked out then decide who's worthy of winning the game based on the feel based on how hurt their feelings are versus how much they respect you. And I always thought that dy- that di- that dynamic was so fascinating. So I wanted to create my own format. And you know, in quarantine everybody was using Zoom. I have a friend Paula who's my producer. We came together and we thought this is a great opportunity to take this concept and finally do it. There's so much to talk about right now. So it's also the show the click is also a, a microcosm and a collection of just conversations going on through 2020. So even though it's a reality game show, it's also a collection and a documentation of what people are going yeah, through. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually got to watch um, the first two episodes and I, it was so fun to see, um, to see like uh, people that I knew actually, like a few guys that I actually knew that were on it. Uh, unfortunately, Mike Greenblatt, if you're listening, sorry, you got robbed. They took you out before you would have won. He went out first and the second one I watched um, our, our our childhood friend of both of ours, David Idler, got robbed. Should have won. Also, sorry yeah. if you're listening to the person who won, but got to got to always give credit to the to the childhood friend. He he did a great job, and it's such an interesting game because you look at you hear the reasons you do confessionals where you can understand why you know alliances are made and why they take out certain people at what uh, and when and they vote some one round they'll vote someone out because they talk too much, and then the next round they'll vote so they'll say they're voting them out because they didn't talk enough, and they're you know, they just kind of make up these ideas in their head that this person's a threat, so we have to get them out. And, and entirely, no one's actually done anything. There's no competitions or anything to actually make you think that they're actually a threat or not. It's all, it's all perception. 
Exactly. So I actually created this. It's all perception. And that's one aspect that I that inspired me to make this. It's social perception. And something about Survivor and Big Brother that I like, but it's something that it's an isolated interest of those shows is the physical challenges. Now, I always imagined, what would I do in that situation? I know for sure I would not be good at the physical challenges, but maybe I can, I, I, I always try to work on myself if I ever go on Survivor, like social skills and stuff. So both my real life and just if one day I ever go on Survivor, I want to be someone that is successful in the social game. And that's something I'm very passionate about is pushing yourself forward as a likable, sociable person that people want to be around. So when you're having conversation in this game, when you have seven people in the short amount of time, by the way, and you have to make first uh, impressions on them, if you want to work with them and go forward with them and who you do not like, if you want to kick out, it really does focus and heighten and microscopes the social game of both Survivor and Big Brother. It actually isolates them. And it's all about being who's the best, being the best social player, but not just over conversation, a tool that we have, you know, in our normal day lives, or I guess over FaceTime conversation, but also over texting, a tool that we use in, you know, our society nowadays. So you have to be good on both fronts. Are you good at conversation, you know, face-to-face, via FaceTime, via Zoom? And are you good at the texting aspect of it? Like, you have yeah, to be supreme at both of them the to win the game. Very interesting, but the irony isn't lost here, right? The kid who is socially awkward created basically what what, what was your worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I would do terrible at this game. I don't have think you, I would do excel you, at like, it. Did you do like a test run where you played in it, or are you always the moderator? I'm a. I don't like, like we talked about the I like the. Like like I mean, I listen. I think. It's, I think it's super cool. Are you? Have you been applying to um, to to? Have you? How long have you been applying to get onto Survivor for? Uh, wow. the week before I turned eighteen. Listen, I hope you get on one day. I'd love to watch you on the big screen. I'll obviously be rooting for you. But you know, um, as much as physical challenges are sometimes important, some so is the mental aspect. And I think you clearly have locked figured out a way to unlock it but something that's always fascinated me about these games of social politics and social dynamics and i love them i'm fascinated by them i love well david how do you think how do you think i don't i'm sorry i didn't mean to i'm not trying to like derail you from your question but like how do you think you would do on this show um i think i would i don't know you know part of me thinks i have part i see i have to make a case for both sides i think uh i think i would talk either talk too much or not talk at all. I would try and kind of play the game where I try every, like everyone, you try and play the middle and, 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 and I try, honestly, I, I would try and make people laugh. That would be my goal would be to, to try and make people laugh. No one likes to, everybody likes the funny guy who can make them laugh. Why? There you go. And that, that, that is, that is an epic strategy. There was a girl that you haven't watched episode three, but there was a girl named Christina. I'm not going to say how she did, but she's someone we got very last minute because someone dropped out. And she said on the phone, before I even saw what she looked like, because we had to scramble for people that we knew, she was a friend of my friend's. <clears throat> and um, she told us on the phone after we explained the game to her, she's like, okay, I'm going to go home, put some lipstick on, and that's going to wow them. And I'm like, that's an interesting strategy. And my friend was saying, yeah, she's very pretty. She's beautiful. So I was like, okay, she's going to try to be a flirtatious uh, character. And you could when you watch episode three, you'll see if that yeah, works like, out for my, her. Right. But... 
being the funny right, guy. Yeah, like you, you have, have to bring in a strategy. strategy. Obviously, you have to change your strategy on the fly by based on the people that are around you. Is there another person that's also doing that strategy? Are they going to be tar- if the, people are are going to be are also hyper aware? It's the whole men- you're basically running the mental gymnastics gauntlet, and it's changing because somebody else could be have your strategy and think, "Hey, that person is doing what I'm doing, so I need to get rid of that person, so they take me there." I mean, it's it's really really uh, obviously it's very difficult, but I don't know. It is, and I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, and this is something to be interesting. We talk. We can talk about. Because I feel there are times every time after the first after I do an episode, I'm talking to people. I think to myself, oh, I don't want to actually do this anymore for multiple reasons. I, I try. I sometimes drop the idea because it's not getting viewership. But then I remember this is also a just a concept to then maybe to pitch one day to studios if I get the opportunity to. But one thing that really bothers me is that most of the people that got voted out first I will contact everybody after the end of the game, see how they're doing, see how they're feeling, what they thought of the game, if they have any suggestions. And the first people voted out every single episode have told me it bothered them for the rest of the, for the next few days. Yeah. I can only imagine because they're being judged off of a few seconds and they, then they watch the next thing and they go, Oh, if I would have just made it through the first round, I could have gone, I could have won or I could have gone farther. That person got farther than me. And it, it bothers. And the reason why I think it bothers people is because it's an, it's, People are rejecting you. It's very personal. When people yeah. reject you, it's it's personal. It's it's it, it. It is absolutely, and that's why I don't think I would I would want to play that type of game. Like if, you know, going on Survivor, like I know that it, I would have to go in mentally, like we talked about before, going into a party saying, "I know I'm going to do something awkward. I know I'm nervous, but it's going to Survivor." I'd be like. I have to be okay with these certain aspects that social media is going to be a nightmare, but also I may be kicked out first and I might take that personally, but I can't let that weigh so heavily. Right. I have experience. to know that this is a game. And, and also you have to think of it as an experience. What? You're, the journey you got to go on. But yeah, I, I, I'm sure. Listen, exactly. you, I've heard of people that go on these shows and the reality shows and all these type of shows where it takes them, even the people that, especially the people that go the farthest and, people who lose lose in the finals or even win it takes them years to get over to get over to get over the mental turmoil that, that they have to go yeah. through the well you have to lie and cheat and st- not cheat but lie and manipulate to get to the top to get where you are and then you win the money or the trophy or whatever it is and then the question always is, is was it worth it uh, and it's really difficult i mean right well, well i think the key is Having, and it's not what you see on the, you will not see this in the show, is being able to weather all that stuff right. when you come back home. And how is your home life? How is your, how are your relationships? Do you have good, a um, great mental health setting to come back to after a polarizing, disgust, deceitful social game that is, yes, very fun because now that it's been on for 20 years, you're excited to play. But when it hits you personally, what are you coming back to that's going to help you normalize? What advice would you give to somebody that's coming back from you? Like, what do you tell people, you know, when you speak to those exit interviews? Obviously, that's a much smaller scale, but curious to hear from that scale as well as the larger scale. Like, what, what do you think you would do? How would you set up your system? And what do you do? So what, are you saying what I would tell uh, somebody start, that's coming back or what I would do myself? Actually. So... You know, I was really questioning if I wanted to tell you this story 
or not because it could hurt me. But at this point, I've kind of not given up hope, but I'm putting a pause on hope. So, oh my God, I already started the story and like, guys, so I don't want to back off. I did, oh my God, this may be dumb. So I did get contacted by the survivor twice and I kind of wrecked my chances with them. And hopefully, God willing, I mean, if they ever listen to this, they're going to be like, oh, this guy can't keep his mouth shut. If you guys are listening, I swear to God, I keep my mouth shut. But, like, I I was 22 and 23 when they called me. And they called me because I was going through emotional trauma in my life. And I thought it was so funny because there were two situations going on. I was in a friendship with a girl that I was very close with who I had, who I had strong feelings for. And she was seeing somebody. I was also dealing with my mom dating some guy who my family was very against. And we were in a lot of pain from that. And I was like, this is very funny. Two women who I care a lot about are in a relationship with a guy. It's causing me a lot of emotional distress. And there's nothing I can do about it. It's almost like a movie, like a TV series. It's almost like it's written down. So I talked about that in my audition video. They asked me about that when they called me. They loved that. After four years of like four or five years of sending audition tapes, they were like, ask me questions about the girl and ask me questions about my mom, her relationship. And I was making them cry laughing. And it was amazing. And I was in such an emotional wreck of a situation because of those two, two things that got their attention that I could not further myself in the casting process. I told them, listen, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I'm emotionally available. I gave them actually another excuse. I didn't want them to think something was wrong with me. But um, that cut my chances. They called me back next year and they said, hey, how's the girl doing? <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to talk about that. All right, how's your mom doing? Oh, my mom, I don't, I, at that moment in my life, yeah, I'm not speaking to my mom. My mom and I are not on speaking basis. And then they could not get off the phone quicker because I rejected the one thing they were looking for, a storyteller. And when they asked me questions and to tell more stories, I could not give them the recap or the stories. So I've now come to the conclusion that, okay, maybe I, it might be for the best because I was not in the greatest mental state and did not have the best home life to come back to. Let's say I got voted off first. My biggest dream, going on, one of my biggest dreams, going on Survivor, I get voted off first. I come home to a, a, uh, a family situation that I'm not comfortable in. Would have been a, would have been a wreck. It would, have been, it, would, it would not have been a good situation. Right now, if they were coming right now or in a, God willing, I get this big escape room business up and running in a year or two, they call me right now and I come home to whatever, wherever I place and I come home to a, my family who I love very much and I'm, I get along with my mom pretty well right now and um, God willing in the future if I'm married and have kids or if I'm dating, but even if I'm not, like I still have my family who I'm very close with. I'm in a good situation right now where if something were bad to happen to me, or to not just Survivor, but getting, you know, my 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 dreams getting crushed on Survivor. I have a good, I have a good, um, thank God I have a good uh, support system. And I did not always have that in recent years. Well, I years. think that's a really good testament to you. And I think, listen, I don't know what right or wrong decision, but I totally understand why you would turn down um, that opportunity. Not only because you weren't in the best mental state, but do you really want to sell you know, your own personal story, like about your people, I guess, do you think they were testing you to see if you were able to, you know, go back and forth on telling on like recapping anything or were they 
trying to create a character around you where they're going to use the storyline about the two girls? Um, because I don't see the storyline. I don't see the storyline that they would use. In I think they were just. I don't think it had nothing to do with. Oh, uh, oh no! When they're when they're looking for people to be on Survivor, they're looking for storytellers. They're looking for somebody that will sit in the confessional and describe what's going on. And they're looking for someone that will be in the shelter or in the Big Brother house, be in the Big Brother house, and have a great right. tone when they're explaining things. And they're just charismatic. Like they're not looking for someone on Survivor who is a jungle man and is right. athletic. Yeah, they have to sprinkle those guys in. We have all different types of people but they all have to have one common trait. They're great storytellers. And I did not give right. them what they were looking for the second time they called. Right. You I was right. all willing to tell my story. People not. Oh, but no, I was just consider. I was just wondering, like, no, because there was a part where it's like, oh, they, are you selling your story to try and get on the show? And like that part is obviously a lot different than just the storytelling. Right, right. No, 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 well, I'm selling that. myself. Listen, I think that's awesome that you, you know, got tapped for a potential opportunity. Like that's really cool. And hopefully, maybe you got if if it's worth worth it in the future, you'll get another opportunity again. But no, having the awareness of knowing your own your own your own support systems and where you were at mentally, putting that first is probably was probably the right decision. I I could right and and I think you know, so for people out there that are struggling with their own mental health and they want to know how to you know best set up a routine for them and you know obviously a lot of it's personal and trial and error but what are things that you do to maintain and maintenance your own mental health i breathe and i i know how cliche that sounds and it's like i've really learned in the last year that breathing does help and I've had anxieties in the last few weeks. Like I'm not perfect. I'm still struggling with some things. Um, I, I'm not. I don't want to sell myself again as like someone who has it all figured out. But I definitely have it more figured out than I used to. But breathing has definitely helped me. And understanding that when you breathe, you're bringing oxygen in, and your mind is now because of whatever oxygen does to your brain, you now can think clearer and calm down and have retrospective on what you were feeling. That was so cl- all these angry feelings that were cluttered now become more laid out and clear and you could come to and you could come to and a, how did you learn come down to a calm ah. so i always knew i just sucked at it until i don't know i tried it a few times and they my brain then as you said repetition but i always knew like when therapists would 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 say you know breathing i would be like Listen, what's going on in my head is monumental. I don't think breathing in and out is going to help that because that's, yeah. that's, all, that's been so much easier said than done. me to breathe and do all that yeah. stuff. And I remember thinking, no. Yeah, it's a complete, and unfortunately, kind of like, it, I mean, it does help. So you do, do you do like just breathing in and out? Do you do like uh, counts, four, five, seven, or meditation with breathing? Like, what do you do? Just, just what? I don't do counts, but I, just breathing, drinking water. Um, what else do I do? Because um, I I know because I with age and with all these stories, because I've been with, in, in a lot of emotional trauma in the last few years. Um, I know the ha- and just people coming in and out of my life. So I've known um, that things will pass. So I've gotten a better grip and understanding that what I'm feeling in this moment I cannot let collide my, like, I can't send a large angry text to somebody 
or I can't um, punch a wall. I can't throw something. Not saying I do that, but like everybody has their little fit sometimes. And I've got, my mind has comprehended the fact that things will pass. So even when you're in that moment, even when I'm in that moment, I'm like, I, I can rationalize it, but I still go through that wave. And, and something that also has helped me is I'm in a situation where I can sometimes take a day just to mentally take care of myself. So we're, right now I'm still trying to do the escape room business. And that's just a lot of looking at locations, paperwork, emails back and forth for, for, with partners. So I don't have a daily, a weekly schedule really. So I sometimes say, okay, I'm not feeling good today. At the end of Wednesday, on Thursday, I'm going to take a self-care day. What do I need to do? I need to clean my car. I need to get a haircut. Maybe I'll lay down, lay down outside or I'll, I'll watch a movie and I won't be upset for wasting time because I'm giving myself permission yeah, I think the word you just use as to take the, care of myself. The, um, the most important is permission, giving yourself, allowing yourself, the, giving yourself permission, allowing yourself the space to, to take time for yourself without any, um, without any, uh, without any judgment. So, uh, yeah. Do you, do you have, uh, what are, what are your, no, what are I, your, I um, um, methods you for just, there are times getting, where things get bad and, you know, I'll try a few things. I'll go for, mostly I'll go for a walk. I'll call a friend, maybe a, maybe a parent. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll call someone, um, you know, meditation is something that I've been very spotty with. Um, I tried meditating just before, uh, before actually just before we, we were, we started recording just to get myself centered. And there are times where I just have the shittiest meditations where I can't get into a rhythm and I can't calm down and in my mind, I, I can't stop my thoughts. And then I just kind of, I sometimes mm-hmm. I get a little discouraged and I don't allow myself the space to, um, to just let it go. And I get too caught up in the importance is and just taking the time to actually try it. And sometimes it just frustrates me, but I do that, you know, so it's kind of a mixture of things. Um, CBD has been a godsend um, for when I, when my anxiety gets really bad. Um, and, you know, I, the last panic attack I had was in October and immediately I felt the anxiety coming on and I just stopped, went left. I was in a, with a group of people. I found a, a quieter space. I tried breathing. Ex- I did breathing exercises to try and calm myself down and to meditate and to try and find a peaceful place and the underlying anxiety that was just kept rising. So I ran upstairs, got some, my CBD out, put, took some tinctures under my tongue and left in. And it really, uh, 20 minutes later, I was good to go. I was, I was okay. I mean, I was, I was frustrated and upset with the anxiety attack, but I'm um, allowing myself to get there, but it just allowed me to reach a neutral base level. And then sometimes you just, you gotta, sometimes you just roll with it. Um, you, it sucks and you just let it pass and you accept that it happened and you, and you move on. And then I, then introspection, figuring out why mm-hmm. it happened for me, I do a lot of investigative questioning with myself. If I have a feeling or an emotion that I don't understand or like, I'll ask questions about it. Um, some, I'm not always the best at it, but I think, um, you know, reevaluating life choices, friends, conversations, words that I use. I try and just think a lot. And sometimes I got to take the pressure off and I don't think that's always the best. I just kind of what my process right now, and I'm still in the, uh, I'm still trying to optimize it with the more I live, the more experience I get, the more I learn about myself and what works and what doesn't. My, my high, kind of my motto is just figuring out what works for the individual. That's kind of what I try and try and think about. That's I love that. It's beautiful. It's like uh, what you said about evaluating why certain situations happened. 
it's better than overthinking it. Um, it's it, it, I think that's uh, giving your like we said permission. It's like giving yourself permission not to let it take control over you. It happened. Something happened. We're not going to ignore it. And even if we try, we can't shrug it under the carpet. But evaluating and realizing why it happened, right. and let's see if there's any and solutions to it. I think that's yeah. A, I think just um one thing that always way to go about it. I, yeah. and, um, it's the and it's taught me a lot about. And it's, it's funny that it's used, it's called the serenity prayer, but I think it's so ridiculous that it's um, branded as for Alcoholics Anonymous, but I think it stands for everything. And, you know, it's, you know, wishing to have the serenity to accept the, the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And what I take from that is I can only control what I can control and I can't control everything else. So if I focus on everything that I can control and give that my all and let go of the other stuff and understanding the difference I'll be okay. And so I'm a, and I can be a, a control freak. I like to optimize and, and, and tinker around and feel like I have all the power and sometimes just letting go and understand that there are forces that I cannot control. You know, it, it, it takes away the ego. It takes away a lot of the ego and a lot of, you know, how, who the fuck mm-hmm. am I to think that I can control all this stuff in my life and that I don't, and that I all that stuff. And when I'm able to do that, I feel like that, and that work is done before and after, you know, anxiety does happen. It's not stuff like, when an anxiety attack comes, there's nothing I can do but just to let it take its course. You know, you try and breathe it out and and get through it. But, you know, just knowing that it's going to end and trying to stop. You just try and stop it and, 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 and lower the, the velocity that it has and, and, hope, and hope for the best, you know. But it's a na- it's nasty beast, this stuff. Yeah. Mental health is so important. And, and a lot of the work to, to – a lot of the work needs, it needs to be done – you know, during everyday life. And it's, it's can be made up of men, taking a mental health day, um, a self-care day. It can be done through exercise and big, go for a walk or go for a run, get some energy out. We've, we've so much energy going on. So that's, that's kind of my routine mm-hmm. for now. And I'm still, I'm open to new suggestions. And for some, it's music. Every, that's the coolest part about talking to so many people is you learn so many people have found so many different things that, that help them. And, and that's kind of, you know what helps me? What helps me uh, with anxiety or just coming down or going, getting to a, like a more happier place right. mentally so is the finding you know soundtrack. That's where you've been able to find a safe haven. What is it about the soundtrack that that grounds you? So do you know? Um, it's I guess it's ironic because of the like. Do you know the? Uh-huh. Do, do you, are you familiar with the? I haven't seen it since I was masterpiece a kid, film of Finding Nemo. Uh, Unfortunately, don't 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 be upset at me, but uh, I haven't seen I, I haven't seen it in a while. Um, remind me. No, you just cool. So, in the opening of the film, in very old school Pixar fashion, they haven't done anything really dramatic and uh, uncharacteristically uh, children film like in a while, but um. I feel, but in the beginning of Finding Nemo, it's uh, Nemo's dad, Marlin, and his wife looking at all their eggs, and then come here comes this uh, monstrous um, creature looking at the eggs, and they have to hide from it, and the wife then swims down to the eggs, the monstrous fish, I don't know, it's not a shark, I don't know what it's called, eats all the eggs, except for one, and that one egg is Nemo. And the father is now like um, caressing and holding closely the egg, saying everything's okay, everything's okay. And then it pulls back to 
it, the camera then pulls back to uh, the top of the ocean. Like we're looking from underneath the ocean at the, um, I don't know what the term is, the, uh, the wake of underneath the water. And we see the sun shining and it says, I'm a movie guy. So this means something to me when, like with like how a movie begins, like how a movie opens is a staple. It says Disney Pixar, pre Pixar presents a Disney film, Finding Nemo. And the music is just like so sad and so tranquil and it's so like moving. And you see this father caressing and taking care of his son and saying, everything's okay, everything's okay. And the whole movie is about this father like going across the world to protect his son. And this intro like just staples the entire concept of the film that we're gonna be following. And the music in the background is like leading us in it's introduced it's like setting the tone of what these characters motives and emotional attachments are it's a family film it's a film about family and the music just leads us there and i think that's for me when i listen to that and i picture in my head like how i listen to a song on the radio and i know the music video for it, and if the music video is hot and banging and it's a great music video i'll dig the song even more so hearing the song i can picture the title sequence and i'm just like you know set in the tone of that film which is such yeah, a you know, music powerful, is uh, music's one of those you know, things that uh, people have a special relationship with certain songs i music music and memory association is something i'm always fascinated by there are certain songs that um you know i listen to and it brings me back to a certain time in my life and i've watched over time songs that you i, I like linked me and memories of like really bad times that i couldn't listen to outside of them and over time i've that's like been a good barometer and a good test for me if I've been able to over get through whatever issues those were, if I can listen to the songs and not have that association. And it's been really something that I'm so fascinated by. I I'm, I'm hoping to do more. I'm hoping to do more research in it, but just thinking of songs. That's so that interesting. Yeah. And hear you talk about how passionately you are about what that song means to you is very, it's very interesting. And it goes back to the thing that song for you means something and everybody has something that that works, you know, for them and finding what works for you is the process and going through the process is how you get to the, it's how you can, you have to go through the process to find, uh, to find, to find it. It takes work. It takes time. And that's kind of, you know, you just gotta, a lot of the time you just gotta give yourself permission and create the space for yourself to find what works for you. And so as we um, wrap up here, I just want to give you the platform now to, give any lasting thoughts, parting shots, things that we didn't, um, that, that, that you always want to expand on or anything in between really. You mm. know what? I'll change the question and make it easier on you. That's a, it's not, it's, it's not a questions. Um, what's like, what's one sure. thing that you've learned from your experience going through mental health challenges? I feel like the answer should be easier to to like just grip out of thin air, but I can't. Uh, let me. No problem. I can change the question if you want. Excuse the dead air. What 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 what's something that you like? Maybe I'll get some inspiration from you. What is something you you've learned on your journey with um mental health and also you know, to, like, like those, uh, stories and thoughts it's interesting you're the first guest that's really turned the table for yourself much in an episode i never really it's never really happened before and i'm not accustomed i mean i've done it a bit here <laughs> um it's happened before but this is by far the most um one thing that i've really learned is to um show compassion um 
to to judge less, to to assume less, and to show more compassion and understanding to people. And and sometimes when you can't understand, the goal is just to you don't have to have an opinion on everything, not what everyone else does. You don't always have to agree with it or disagree with it. You can just let it go. And trying to control and want everyone to do things the way you want them to is not a recipe for for a successful and happy life. And something that I've learned just from hearing so many stories about people is that we're all in this together. People, we're not alone. People who suffer from mental health, you're not alone, regardless of the severity or the type of disorder that you go to. You're not alone. There are people that 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 can that can empathize can empathize with your pain that that can that can hear your words and can be moved by it. I can't tell you how many people I know that have reached out to me privately that you would that people would never expect or people that I've never even met before in real life and that I just were Facebook friends with or strangers and they just reached out and said I didn't know other people felt this way, and that is something that I oh I always will try and, and, and reinforce in my own That's memory incredible. whenever I get discouraged about doing this podcast or whenever I get down on it and remembering that, you know, just by, by facilitating conversations, it, it helps somebody. And, and the fact that anybody can get any sort of benefit from anything that I do is a really crazy concept at heart. It's hard for me to even comprehend, but that's my own issues I'm working through, but it's just been, it's been very surreal. And that's kind of what I've learned is just to, and to show more compassion to other people. Um, and, and if they say something or think something that I don't agree with or don't like, and that's okay too. You know, it's always good to have more people talking about it. And the more people that talk about it, hopefully the better, the better it goes. This is a great thing you're doing. And I just from what I, from hearing you say how many people have reached out to you saying that they didn't know other people felt this way. And then they, People are, you're giving a people a platform to listen to intimate depths of what's going on in other people's minds. And this may be the first instance where they can say, hey, I relate to that. That's, that's a reflection of what I'm going through. So what you're creating is so amazing. You're, you're probably giving people um, the first taste of um, I'm not trying to- the ability to feel normal. With mental health, I, I appreciate it. So, really, Thank congratulations! Um, on one of the things I'm for doing actually that. working on is is accepting um, feedback and positive, like accepting positive words. It's tough for me to hear, um, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't, but it's. Um, it's not so easy for me to accept compliments and stuff like that. So uh, thank you. I, I appreciate those kind of words. Uh, I don't, you know, the goal is just to facilitate conversations and, you know, normalizing and and destigmatizing our words other people um, throw around. I, I don't always use them. Um, I don't, everyone takes it differently and thinks differently. And I just try and do my part to ask questions. And this is the first time you're turning the tables on me. And, uh, like I said, I, I, so I have the utmost respect and, and commend, and, <laughs> and I, and I think people who, who, uh, reach out and, or accept the, accept to come on and, and, and really, um, and open up the way they do. I have like, they're like my, my heroes to me. I think they're so, they're so special. And, and for anyone out and the goal isn't just to inspire people to come on. It's, if people, I guess what I really love that comes out of it is that people who in their own lives, whether it's with their spouse or a family member, a sibling, a friend, it allows them to open up and to, to share something with somebody else. And, and that's kind of the goal. It's not, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to come on this podcast and talk about it. You don't have to do anything, but maybe if you're just inspired or you feel that like you're not alone enough to a point where you can really internalize it and put that into your own life by, by reaching out to somebody and, and telling them, what's going on with you or maybe asking, Hey, what's going on with you? I saw you were 
you know, a little off today. And, and if they don't answer the way you want them to, it's to give them that space and understand that there's more going on. Yeah. And if it's, you need to reach out, it's creating the space and doing it in a, in, in a way that allows people to share. That's the most beautiful thing to me. And that's what I love. I love it's, it's, that, that's what makes it worth it to me. It's not easy. I, I tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't put out, I don't do this. It's I, I think a lot before I do it. And I, I, I knew the risks that came with doing this and I thought about it very, very long and hard before, before doing it. And I promise uh, I think about it. I mean, oh, you saying you're not a hero is so exactly what makes sorry, you a, makes you a hero. That that's like, they're making me out to seem <laughs> a lot more like, than I am. I'm just a guy who facilitates <laughs> conversations. That's it. Wait a year. Wait a year. God willing, less. I hope you're you're, you're going to still be the same humble your same humble self, and that's great to be internally. And you should always keep that. I hope you always keep that. But well, wait a year listen, and watch this. I don't. You could, watch this take humble. over. I don't even give my. I, I wouldn't even say I'm being humble. I'm just incapable we'll of taking of taking credit for it. I just don't do it. There's so many people that were involved in making it, and it's not just me. It's never. It can't. It this for this podcast to work. It can never be about me. It can never. It, it's not. It's not about me. It can never be right. About I me. hear I that. I hear what you're me, saying from, from your perspective. I, I do also understand that there is a part of me that needs to accept some responsibility. I accept responsibility, but whatever goes on with that, and I'm promise you. Like I said, I'm anyone who thinks I have it all figured out. It's not what I'm. Pre, I'm not a professional. I'm just a guy trying to try, just trying to talk it out and figure it out like the rest of you. So. That's it. And listen, you did a really good job of turning around on me. But now that I've said, what's one thing or something you learned, mm-hmm. taken away, a thought, a feeling, an emotion, whatever it is. All right. So I have a thing about me where I could be a little blunt and maybe I try to be hyper and happy and all the time. But sometimes I could be a little not unfriendly, but not the friendliest guy ever. I don't know why that is. It just, I, it's not bipolar, but it's a bipolar essence. Maybe a little bit of a narcissist essence. I'm not a narcissist. I mean, I'm narcissistic tendencies. But what I try to do is under, like, is to understand the more I'm conscious of my faults. And also, like, you know, feeling good about the things that I like about myself. But the more I'm conscious about my faults and, and look at those faults every single day, the more I'll grow into a better person. There are, I've seen so many older people struggling with mental illness and struggling with being just pure narcissists um, and just disgusting to people that they care about. And for me to watch that, I realize that falls on, for me not to God willing turn into that when I'm older to the pe- and treat people I love so badly it's just always self-evaluate at a young age to train my mind to be like, okay, I have these feelings, these angers, these issues, these qualms with, qualms with people or whatever the word is. But how do I train myself to be above that so that when I'm older and my brain is more settled with how it goes in rhythms of dealing with things, I won't hurt people that I love. And I'm going to use to simplify how to do that in one beautiful bubble, I'm going to quote one of my favorite artists, the artist that got me through 2020. I'll tell me if you know who this artist is. Treat, sorry, what was, people, uh, with treat people with kindness is a quote is a song. 
Oh, no, I don't listen to Harry Styles. It's a song you, by Harry Styles. Dude, I, you might not be a fan of pop. Listen to Fine Line. It's a it's a beautiful album. It's it, A lot of non-pop fans have raved about that album, but I, I try to go through life even before I heard that song. Even if I'm, no matter what mood I'm in, I always try to remember, just be kind. That's the easiest way. If everybody was just trying to consciously keep kind, the world would be a better place. And it just starts with you. You can only work on yourself. Thank you so much to Aaron Bulk for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciated how open and honest he was about dealing with his anxieties. I know I learned a lot from him and he gave me a lot to think about. If anybody out there is interested in coming on to the podcast, please reach out. I'd love to share your story have or have a conversation about anything mental health related. You can reach me through my Instagram at don't worry about a podcast or at the, my email, don't worry about a podcast at gmail.com. And every, everybody out there is listening. Please do me a favor, like subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It really helps me grow it and reach new audiences, and new people. But I really appreciate you guys all so much for listening. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week.